0: Chapter 7, Section 4 of The Promise of American Life by Herbert Crawley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. Chapter 7, Section 4 The Bridge Between Democracy and Nationality. We are now prepared, I hope, to venture upon a more fruitful definition of democracy. The popular definitions err in describing it in terms of its machinery, or of some partial political or economic object. Democracy does not mean merely government by the people, or majority rule, or universal suffrage. All of these political forms or devices are a part of its necessary organization, but the chief advantage that such methods of organization have is their tendency to promote some salutary and formative purpose. The really formative purpose is not exclusively a matter of individual liberty, although it must give individual liberty abundant scope. Neither is it a matter of equal rights alone, although it must always cherish the social bond which that principle represents. The salutary and formative democratic purpose consists in using the democratic organization for the joint benefit of individual distinction and social improvement. To define the really democratic organization, as one which makes expressly and intentionally for individual distinction and social improvement, is nothing more than a translation of the statement that such an organization should make expressly and intentionally for the welfare of the whole people. The whole people will always consist of individuals, constituting small classes, who demand special opportunities, and the mass of the population who demand for their improvement more generalized opportunities. At any particular time or in any particular case, the improvement of the smaller classes may conflict with that of the larger class, but the conflict becomes permanent and irreconcilable only when it is intensified by the lack of a really binding and edifying public policy, and by the consequent stimulation of class and factional prejudices and purposes. A policy, intelligently informed by the desire to maintain a joint process of individual and social amelioration, should be able to keep a democracy sound and whole, both in sentiment and in idea such a democracy would not be dedicated either to liberty or to equality in their abstract expressions but to liberty and equality in so far as they have made for human brotherhood as mr faget says in the introduction to his politique et moraliste du XIXe siècle from which i have already quoted liberté et égalité sont donc contradictoires et exclusives l'une et l'autre Mais la, fraternité les la fraternité non seulement considerait la liberté et l'égalité mais elle les ferait génératristes l'une et l'autre the two subordinate principles that is one representing the individual and the other the social interest can by their subordination to the principle of human brotherhood be made in the long run mutually helpful the foregoing definition of the democratic purpose is the only one which can entitle democracy to an essential superiority to other forms of political organization. Democrats have always tended to claim some such superiority for their methods and purposes, but in case democracy is to be considered merely as a piece of political machinery, or a partial political idea, the claim has no validity. Its superiority must be based upon the fact that democracy— is the best possible translation into political and social terms of an authoritative and comprehensive moral idea. And provided a democratic state honestly seeks to make its organization and policy contribute to a better quality of individuality and a higher level of associated life, it can, within certain limits, claim the allegiance of mankind on rational moral grounds the proposed definition may seem to be both vague and commonplace but it nonetheless brings with it practical consequences of paramount importance the subordination of the machinery of democracy to its purpose and the comprehension within that purpose of the higher interests both of the individual and society is not only exclusive of many partial and erroneous ideas but demands both a reconstructive program and an efficient organization a government by the people which seeks an organization and a policy beneficial to the individual and to society, is confronted by a task as responsible and difficult as you please, but it is a specific task which demands the adoption of certain specific and positive means. Moreover, it is a task which the American democracy has never sought consciously to achieve. American Democrats have always hoped for individual and social amelioration as the result of the operation of their democratic system, but if any such result was to follow, its achievement was to be a happy accident. The organization and policy of a democracy should lead the individual and society to seek their own amelioration. The democratic state should never discriminate in favor of anything or anybody. It should only discriminate against all sorts of privilege. Under the proposed definition, on the other hand, Popular government is to make itself expressly and permanently responsible for the amelioration of the individual and society, and a necessary consequence of this responsibility is an adequate organization and a reconstructive policy. The majority of good Americans will doubtless consider that the reconstructive policy, already indicated, is flagrantly socialistic both in its methods and its objects, and if any critic likes to fasten the stigma of socialism upon the foregoing conception of democracy, I am not concerned with dodging the odium of the word. The proposed definition of democracy is socialistic, if it is socialistic to consider democracy inseparable from a candid, patient, and courageous attempt to advance the social problem towards a satisfactory solution. It is also socialistic in case socialism cannot be divorced from the use, wherever necessary, of the political organization in all its forms, to realize the proposed democratic purpose. On the other hand, there are some doctrines frequently associated with socialism to which the proposed conception of democracy is wholly inimical and it should be characterized not so much as socialistic as unscrupulously and loyally nationalistic a democracy dedicated to individual and social betterment is necessarily individualist as well as socialist it has little interest in the mere multiplication of average individuals Except in so far as such multiplication is necessary to economic and political efficiency, but it has the deepest interest in the development of a higher quality of individual self expression. There are two indispensable economic conditions of qualitative individual self expression. One is the preservation of the institution of private property in some form, and the other is the radical transformation of its existing nature and influence. A democracy certainly cannot fulfill its mission without the eventual assumption by the state of many functions now performed by individuals, and without becoming expressly responsible for an improved distribution of wealth. But if any attempt is made to accomplish these results by violent means, it will most assuredly prove to be a failure. An improvement in the distribution of wealth or in economic efficiency, which cannot be accomplished by purchase on the part of the state or by a legitimate use of the power of taxation, must be left to the action of time, assisted, of course, by such arrangements as are immediately practical. But the amount of actual good to the individual and society which can be effected, at any one time, by an alteration in the distribution of wealth is extremely small, and the same statement is true of any proposed state action in the interest of the democratic purpose. Consequently, while responsible state action is an essential condition of any steady approach to the democratic consummation, such action will be wholly vain unless accompanied by a large measure of spontaneous individual amelioration. In fact, one of the strongest arguments on behalf of a higher and larger conception of state responsibilities in a democracy is that the candid, courageous, patient, and intelligent attempt to redeem those responsibilities provides one of the highest types of individuality, viz., the public-spirited man with a personal opportunity and a task, which should be enormously stimulating and edifying. The great weakness of the most popular form of socialism consists, however, in its mixture of a revolutionary purpose with an international scope. It seeks the abolition of national distinctions by revolutionary revolts of the wage-earner against the capitalist, and to substitute for it an international organization of a single class, it is headed absolutely in the wrong direction. Revolutions may at times be necessary and on the whole helpful, But not in case there is any other practicable method of removing grave obstacles to human amelioration, and in any event their tendency is socially disintegrating. The destruction or the weakening of nationalities for the ostensible benefit of an international socialism would in truth gravely imperil the bond upon which actual human association is based. The peoples who have inherited any share in Christian socialization are effectively united chiefly by national habits, traditions, and purposes and perhaps the most effective way of bringing about an irretrievable division of purpose among them would be the adoption by the class of wage-earners of the program of international socialism it is not too much to say that no permanent good can under existing conditions come to the individual and society except through the preservation and the development of the existing system of nationalized states radical and enthusiastic democrats have usually failed to attach sufficient importance to the ties whereby civilized men are at the present time actually united. Inasmuch as national traditions are usually associated with all sorts of political, economic, and social privileges and abuses, they have sought to identify the higher social relation with the destruction of the national tradition, and the substitution of an ideal bond. In so doing they are committing a disastrous error and democracy will never become really constructive until this error is recognized, and democracy abandons its former alliance with revolution. The higher human relation must be brought about, chiefly by the improvement and the intensification of existing human relations. The only possible foundation for a better social structure is the existing order, of which the contemporary system of nationalized states forms the foundation. Loyalty to the existing system of nationalized states, Does not necessarily mean loyalty to an existing government merely because it exists. There have been, and still are, governments whose ruin is a necessary condition of popular liberation, and revolution doubtless still has a subordinate part to play in the process of human amelioration. The loyalty which a citizen owes to a government is dependent upon the extent to which the government is representative of national traditions and is organized in the interest of valid national purposes. National traditions and purposes always contain a large infusion of dubious ingredients, but loyalty to them does not necessarily mean the uncritical and unprotesting acceptance of the national limitations and abuses. Nationality is a political and social ideal, as well as the great contemporary political fact. Loyalty to the national interest implies devotion to a progressive principle. It demands, to be sure, that the progressive principle be realized without any violation of fundamental national ties. It demands that any national action taken for the benefit of the progressive principle be approved by the official national organization. But it also serves as a ferment quite as much as a bond. It bids the loyal national servants to fashion their fellow countrymen into more of a nation, and the attempt to perform this bidding constitutes a very powerful and wholesome source of political development it constitutes, indeed, a source of political development which is of decisive importance for a satisfactory theory of political and social progress, because a people which becomes more of a nation has a tendency to become, for that very reason, more of a democracy. The assertion that a people which becomes more of a nation becomes, for that very reason, more of a democracy is, I am aware, a hazardous assertion, which can be justified, if at all, only at a considerable expense. As a matter of fact, the two following chapters will be devoted chiefly to this labor of justification. In the first of these chapters, I shall give a partly historical and partly critical account of the national principle in its relation to democracy, and in the second I shall apply the results, so achieved, to the American national principle in its relation to the American democratic idea. But before starting this complicated task, a few words must be premised as to the reasons which make the attempt well worth the trouble. If a people, in becoming more of a nation, become for that very reason more of a democracy, the realization of the democratic purpose is not rendered any easier, but democracy is provided with a simplified, a consistent, and a practical program. An alliance is established thereby between the two dominant political and social forces in modern life. The suspicion with which aggressive advocates of the national principle have sometimes regarded democracy would be shown to have only a conditional justification, and the suspicion with which many ardent Democrats have regarded aggressive nationalism would be similarly disarmed. A Democrat, so far as the statement is true, could trust the fate of his cause in each particular state to the friends of national progress. Democracy would not need for its consummation the ruin of the traditional political fabrics, but so far as those political bodies were informed by genuinely national ideas and aspirations, it could await confidently the process of national development. In fact, the first duty of a good Democrat would be that of rendering to his country loyal patriotic service. Democrats would abandon the task of making over the world to suit their own purposes, until they had come to a better understanding with their own countrymen. One's democracy, that is, would begin at home, and it would for the most part stay at home, and the cause of national well-being would derive invaluable assistance from the loyal cooperation of good Democrats. A great many obvious objections will, of course, be immediately raised against any such explanation of the relation between democracy and nationality, and I am well aware that these objections demand the most serious consideration. A generation or two ago, the European Democrat was often by way of being an ardent nationalist and a constructive relation between the two principles was accepted by many European political reformers. The events of the last fifty years have, however, done much to sever the alliance, and to make European patriots suspicious of democracy and European democrats suspicious of patriotism. To what extent these suspicions are justified, I shall discuss in the next chapter, but that discussion will be undertaken almost exclusively for obtaining, if possible, some light upon our domestic situation. The formula of a constructive relation between the national and democratic principles has certain importance for European peoples, and particularly for Frenchmen. It is of a far superior importance to Americans. It supplies a constructive form for the progressive solution of their political and social problems, and while it imposes on them responsibilities which they have sought to evade, it also offers compensations, the advantage of which they have scarcely expected. Americans have always been both patriotic and democratic, just as they have always been friendly both to liberty and equality, but in neither case have they brought the two ideas or aspirations into mutually helpful relations. As Democrats, they have often regarded nationalism with distrust, and have consequently deprived their patriotism of any sufficient substance and organization. As nationalists, They have frequently regarded essential aspects of democracy with a wholly unnecessary and embarrassing suspicion. They have been after a fashion Hamiltonian, and Jeffersonian after more of a fashion, but they have never recovered from the initial disagreement between Hamilton and Jefferson. If there is any truth in the idea of a constructive relation between democracy and nationality, this disagreement must be healed. They must accept both principles loyally and unreservedly, and by such acceptance, their noble national theory will obtain a wholly unaccustomed energy and integrity. The alliance between the two principles will not leave either of them intact, but it will necessarily do more harm to the Jeffersonian group of political ideas than it will to the Hamiltonian. The latter's nationalism can be adapted to democracy without an essential injury to itself, but the former's democracy cannot be nationalized without being transformed. The manner of its transformation has already been discussed in detail. It must cease to be a democracy of indiscriminate individualism, and its members must be united, not by a sense of joint irresponsibility, but by a sense of joint responsibility for the success of their political and social ideal. They must become, that is, a democracy devoted to the welfare of the whole people, by means of a conscious labor of individual and social improvement. And that is precisely the sort of democracy which demands for its realization the aid of the Hamiltonian nationalistic organization and principle. End of chapter 7